Welcome to Literature for Life, a podcast where we talk about the stories that mean the most to us, the stories we keep coming back to as we go through life. This podcast is part of the Femme On Podcast Collective, essentially a group of women talking about the things that we love. Each episode, I speak to a wonderful guest about a story, a piece of literature that has had a significant impact on them. Before I introduce today's lovely guest, I want to remind you that my name is Jess and that I am a writer and a blogger and a lover of literature and stories in all forms. So my guest today is the wonderful Kitty Bush. She is also a writer, a producer, a journalist. She's worked on some incredibly poignant and very important documentaries about topics such as the Syrian war and Chinese foreign policy. Kitty is also an exceptional linguist and fluent in Mandarin. Um, she's also a solo traveler currently in Taiwan. KB, welcome. Thank you so much. I must caveat the fluent in Mandarin. Jess could have said she's currently studying in Taiwan. I feel like you, I don't know, you big me up too much, but thank you. It's great I to be here. I feel like you've been studying Mandarin for like 10 years. So I just, to me, that's like, she's fluent in Mandarin. She knows Mandarin. I feel like you are setting the bar incredibly high in terms of your, your Mandarin knowledge. We always, uh, me and my classmates, we always reassure ourselves that it's all, it's all a learning process and you never master it. But I think we just do that to make ourselves feel better when we can't yeah. understand like someone in a restaurant, you know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So how are you today, Kit? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, like I said, I'm studying Mandarin at the moment. So this is actually my finals week, which is really fun. Um, Taiwan loves a lot of work. So yeah, I just have exams every day. So I don't really need my room at the moment. So this is a very welcome break. Yay, I'm so glad. And I had absolutely no idea that you were doing finals this week. So thank you very much. <laughs> for chatting to me about books um so I I have just introduced our listeners to you but I think it would be lovely if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself yeah for sure so I met Jess at university and since then I've worked uh, we both study journalism and I actually kind of carried on the path which is weird because I feel like many people don't uh, I did not. Yeah, so, I, <laughs> so uh like you said I'm a producer journalist worked on a bunch of current affairs documentaries also worked in the newsroom writing the news lived in Canada and did that for a while and yeah like you said I've been studying Mandarin forever so I finally decided to take up the offer of a scholarship to just carry on doing that so that's what I'm doing in Taiwan at the moment oh so I'm also avidly reading obviously at the same time managed to hit my 100 books goal on <laughs> goodreads so please tell us more about that 100 books in how many months a year last that's, year that's incredible mm -hmm. are you working towards the same goal now i will not achieve it <laughs> I regularly get notifications telling me I'm not achieving it. Um, I think it might be a little bit beyond my grasp now, even though it's only February, but we'll try. Yeah. Um, I, I clearly remember visiting Kitty in Birmingham last year 
in a little flat in the center of Birmingham. She had sort of like one sofa, uh, you know, and, and like a, a dining room table and and maybe like one side table and then just everywhere in stacks on her floor were books. Stacks and stacks and stacks of books. I have never met anyone who loves reading as much as you. And that is why we are here today. It is why we're here today. So um, speaking of, what are we here to talk about today, Kit? Which piece of literature would you like to chat about? So today I'd like to talk about, I don't know if I would describe it as my favourite book, but when you first mentioned your podcast to me and asked me to be a guest, it just came to my mind straight away. Like you said, stacks of books at home, but the one that actually made it out here is called When Breath Becomes Air um, by Paul Kalanithi. Um, and yeah, where I feel like wherever I go in the world, I almost always just have this book with me. Um, it's almost a bit of a comfort blanket, a bit of a Bible. I enjoy just sort of like opening a random page and reading it. Um, it's not a diary format, but you can sort of jump in wherever you want and you know that you're either going to read a beautiful piece of writing or, you know, learn something really new. It's, it's a book sort of for however you're feeling. Um, so yeah, I'd like to talk about that. And it basically is about the last 22 months of an American neurosurgeon's life. Uh, he's diagnosed with inoperable lung cancer at a very young age, um, early to mid thirties. And yeah, this book basically is him trying to sort of wrestle with his own mortality and work out what why his life has meaning, what makes his life meaningful at this time. And I think it's very interesting because most of us avoid death for as long as we can. He basically built a career around the brain, um, studying what makes life worth living. So to hear his perspective is very interesting. And then also, you know, it's very easy, I think, when it's other people. Um, so obviously he, he he talks about how he deals with patients who are very sick but then when it's when it's him and it's his own it's his illness it's it's him that's going to die it's very interesting to see how he still wrestles with the struggles that I imagine a lot of people do when they're given that news even though he has all this training and all of this intellect it's it almost makes you sort of feel like maybe death is a bit of an equalizer in that sense we're all terrified of it I suppose yeah that makes perfect sense um death is something that I talked about a lot in my first episode with Krista and I'm glad that we're talking about it again I really am because I I you're so right like we're, we're all so afraid of death and I think in today's climate with you know 24 7 access to news from across the world um death seems like it's everywhere and it always is happening to someone else um and so when it lands on your doorstep people don't have they don't have the tools to know how to deal with it because they've always seen it from they've always seen it as something very other very far away and and I feel like we almost need to be better equipped at dealing with death when it lands on our doorstep because it will it will and usually earlier than we think it will 
not I'm not necessarily talking about our own death but like the death of people that we love and so I I find a lot of beauty in literature that is about death because I find it very honest and I'm always very drawn to um books that are I find are being very honest with me about things that happen in life so yeah um I actually um I'm trying to make an effort to actually read or listen to or learn about the books that I speak about on this podcast and so I downloaded the audiobook and I am almost finished <laughs> but I I absolutely love it it was the the audio the audiobook is actually beautifully narrated as well and so it's been a really lovely listen um, and you're right the way that this author writes he writes beautifully like he does it's very accessible um, and I think especially when you're talking about something like neurosurgery um, it is important to have language that is accessible and that can relate to people who are not familiar with that so yeah I yeah I'm really glad that we're talking about this piece today I really like it mm, I agree especially the language thing for me it's a really big thing because I worked in news so I was essentially trained if you have two ways of saying something say it the simplest way um, and I think it can be quite a fine line between overly fluffy writing um, where all of this description kind of isn't really adding anything but then you also get books that are just written beautifully um, I know Paul describes himself as being tethered to an IV pole and just the use of the word tethered I think there is so powerful um, and the way he uses such vivid language to describe parts of the body um, he operates on a brain and calls it describes it very well and calls it glistening and it kind of forced me in a way to think about my body in a way that I've always avoided because I hate the thought of you know someone having to operate on my brain because I'm sick so it kind of really forced me to think about that as well in a way that I never have and I've always been able to sort of avoid thinking about my body in that way so I think that that was something I found very interesting and kind of shocking as well yeah yeah and also I think that's I think that's so important as well like we need to our bodies are incredible I keep coming back to this again and again as like throughout life like our bodies are incredible and I think people in medicine are like they get a very clear picture into just how incredible our bodies are like what they can do how they can heal you know how they fight off um illness and stuff um when I speak to my doctor friends that comes across so clearly and so so I think you're right like the way that he describes the body he's giving us you know people who are not familiar with medicine um in a very beautiful way he's giving us a sense of just how intricate and beautiful our bodies are not in how they look because that's that's something that we are just too focused on but in how they function and how they carry us through life so yeah I love that um okay so so why why I mean so you've spoken a little bit about why you've chosen this piece you said that you keep sort of coming back to it um do you want to maybe explain a little bit about why um yeah like I said it's kind of 
I'm not a religious person. So this is kind of my Bible, like my sort of how to live Bible. Um, I read it quite soon after my dad had died. And that was very, very sudden. And I think when you're at, at that stage of grief, not the grief has stages, but when you're in that sort of like immediate after point, you're kind of just so desperately seeking out literature, basically just seeking out validation, I guess, and understanding. And like you said, death isn't really something that we talk about. So for me anyway, books were a really important escape. Um, I think even when you feel like your close friends or your family sort of don't understand, you know, and they're saying the wrong thing and it's, nobody can possibly know how I feel, you know, but a lot of people do. Um, so I think at a stage where I felt unable to talk, I felt able to read. And so that's what I did. And I think kind of a little bit further on now from my dad dying, a really important thing that I, that I feel is that we have to sort of stop looking for reasons for everything. Um, and we, don't, we, we have to stop trying to justify why bad things happen. So people would look at my dad and sort of say, oh you know like he likes a few drinks he smoked some cigarettes so therefore you know like obviously he was gonna die and it's like but actually didn't he just die because he's a human and human beings die literally 100 guarantee sorry no one's going to escape that and i think the reason that this book is so powerful to me is because there is no reason for somebody in their 30s getting lung cancer there's no explanation for it it happened because it happens. It happens because people get sick. And like you were, you were to speak, you sort of said earlier about um, how incredible our bodies are. They are. And sometimes things go wrong. And you can do everything right. You can eat the right food. You can not drink alcohol. You can never smoke. And things can still go wrong. Um, I also feel like even if you don't do everything right, things can still go wrong and you're still deserving of empathy. But I feel like Paul's story is a reminder to all of us just how, of just how precious life is. And I think his, because he's obviously such an intelligent man, his journey kind of searching for meaning is still so difficult. And you can really sort of feel him grappling with the fact he's going to die and what he's going to leave behind and sort of, having the privilege to almost accompany him on that journey as he works out what what me, what he wants to do how he wants to spend the last few years of his life it feels like a real privilege to be able to do that yeah yeah no that that's I completely agree it, it, it is such a privilege to to be able to go almost go through that process with him because it's such a heartbreaking process um and you don't usually get to go along with all the emotions that are attached to that. Um, but I think something that you said earlier about you could do everything right and, and, and it, your body can still just, you know, not work in the way it's supposed to work. Um, I, it reminded me about a line from the book where I think he is speaking to his, his doctor after he gets his diagnosis and she's like, do you have any more questions? And he's like, 
can I start smoking? Um, and she, she's like, no. And I think because I think the point he was making was he was never a smoker, mm. but here he is with, with, with an incredibly aggressive form of lung cancer. And it's such a harsh irony. Um, and you're right, you can't justify that. You, you can't, you can't search for be gained. There's no yeah. lesson. There's no, you know, oh, everything happens for a reason. What reason? <laughs> really? Yeah. You know? And I think in a way that's freeing. You know, we should live good lives because it makes us happy. You know, but things can still go wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I think you could spend way too much try, way too much time trying to find the reason that something happened instead of trying to find like um meaning or 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 purpose or drive or or just trying to find your way through it instead um Mm. and I think that I think that makes sense because that's often the harder thing to do it's harder it's it's a lot harder to accept something really bad has happened and to and to put your head down and muddy your way through it than it is to go searching for why it happened. Um, I think, because if you're searching for why it happened, then, then you've got your own purpose there. You're like, right, well, you know, I just need to fix this problem. I need to find the solution to this question instead of grappling with this massive thing that's happened. So, but yeah, I agree. I think there's that saying, isn't it? Everything happens for a reason. And I think that's very much embedded into our culture but it 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 doesn't it skips over the the like the brutal finality of life like like you said death death is an equalizer death death is around as much as like death is a fact as much as life is a fact um so yeah i mean i completely agree um so so i wonder then um is that I think I think you've touched on it already, but I think it might be useful if we, or it might be nice if we give our listeners a little bit more um, detail as to exactly what happens in the book, um, because it's not just about. So I, I think I've listened to um, maybe like three, maybe three quarters of the book, and I love it. Um, but so it's not just about his journey from diagnosis to, to death. It's also about who he was before the diagnosis, which I think is really lovely. Um, so I don't know, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I kind of think of it as the book is split into two parts. So the first part is sort of until the diagnosis. It mainly chronicles kind of his, his medical training. Um, and then the second part focuses more, I guess that's written in the present and that's more his sort of day-to-day struggling with this diagnosis and sort of the deterioration of his body and how that's happening and the impact it's having on him and his family. Um, There's also a part in the book, which I'm not sure you've got to, where um, his wife sort of writes a bit at the end, and that's also very interesting um, to hear hear her viewpoint. Um, But I think... The main thing that I took away from the first part of the book, which is about his medical training, 
was just the scale of the work that he put into this career. And the fact that it was, it was almost like a life plan. Um, numerous degrees. Uh, he studied English literature and biology, uh, studied in the UK for a while as well, and then went back to Yale, I think, to study medicine. And just the scale of this effort and this work and the way he would describe his days in the hospital, it's, it's incredibly grueling. He would sort of describe how he lived a 15-minute drive away but would have to have a nap after he'd finished work because he didn't feel safe to drive. And it did sort of make me think about the medical professional broadly as well, because he's obviously doing this incredibly intricate job. Uh, the way he describes operating on people's brains, it, it sort of makes me think of an artist, you know, it's such precision. And if you have sort of an, a millimeter wrong, you can, uh, he describes uh, a man who was only capable of um, same numbers yes I remember that's the thing that sticks in my brain as well and I think that's also what I love about this book is not only are you learning about Paul you're learning about the people who um uh who who were his patients and he mm. talks about some really interesting cases and that is the one that sticks in my brain yeah and even the way I think he speaks about his first death like his first patient who dies it's done in such a tender way. Um, you can tell he really, he is a scientist, but he's also an artist, yeah. I think. Uh, and that comes across. And he deeply, deeply cares about what he's doing. Um, so yeah, but then he's also very honest in that section. You know, he talks about problems in his marriage and I think it's nice. And actually I listened to an interview with his wife um, and the publishers approached her and said, do you want to keep that part in? You know, do you feel uncomfortable if we include it? She kind of just said, you know, well, that was the reality. Our marriage wasn't going well. And then Paul got cancer. And the author describes, you know, in a way, cancer saved our marriage. I, when he's sort of talking about perspective. And so that's very interesting. Um, so, yeah, and then the second part of the book, like I said, mainly focuses on his diagnosis, um, his sort of journey through taking different different drugs. He does chemo. I think he's on, he's on a drug for a while, then it stops working, chemo. And then the book actually ends very abruptly, his section of the book. And in a sense, I think that is quite important as well because that's that life. sums it up he didn't he didn't finish the book you know yeah that's that's what life that 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 is the reality of life and and I and and I know a lot of people won't want to you know I think that's why people think of, of death as morbid um because they don't want to grapple with the the idea that that it can end so abruptly um but yeah I think I think that's I think that's a perfect representation of not only what happened to him, but what happens to a lot of people in life. Mm. And um, he sort of goes through, goes through this interesting phase as well when he's diagnosed and he's trying desperately to sort of claw back his previous life. Um, so he's offered, he's offered a job in Wisconsin and it's the dream job. You can skate to work in the winter and swim there in the summer. And he, he's sort of sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, this sounds like a fantasy. And then it hits him like well, that is a fantasy. I can't move my family across the country. 
what if I have, what if I relapse? What if I'm dead in a year? And at this point as well, uh, he's also trying to have a child, uh, he and his wife. And so to sort of pull his wife away from the support network, it's completely illogical. So, and he also does go back to work, uh, but he describes very honestly how he sort of just stops getting joy from his work. So it's kind of realizing I'm trying to live and sort of kick cancer's butt and, you know, the two fingers, like living despite it. But actually it's coming to that realization that no, this is going to change my life and I have to work around it. I can't ignore it anymore. And to watch him go on that journey is interesting because I imagine a lot of people do, but to have a doctor who knows so much and has had so much experience and has so much wisdom, to see him going through that very human process, I think is very interesting. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, And I think something about what you just said um, reminded me of the second half of the book. I think just after he gets his diagnosis, I think he goes on his first drug and um, it makes him, one of the side effects is like severe acne. Um, And so he breaks out in acne and he talks about, he talks about identity and, and, and how he, he, he's always had such smooth skin and his wife has always loved the fact that he's had such smooth skin and you know if he if he was ever sort of regarded as a handsome person before like he's less so now and and it's just, and and he was ex- describing it as just one example of his identity sort of changing because he says like i would rather be uglier you know perceived to be uglier and 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 you know not be dying from cancer than the other way around um but I think it's just a good example, just one small example of how something like this can start to change your identity. You know, who who you think you were versus who you were before this happened. Um, and all of these little things in his book add up to this sort of very clear and intricate picture of, 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 of what it means to sort of not not just have cancer but have something life-changing happen to you um especially especially through the lens of death like you know approaching death and mortality um yeah it, i agree yeah so okay brilliant so i'm just trying to <laughs> Because we've we've touched on so much already. Because this is such a a wonderful piece of literature. Um, but it, if if it's okay with you, I'd like to go back to what you said earlier about the point at which you read this book. Um, you said it was just after your dad died, um, mm-hmm. and I think was that twenty twenty. Yeah, twenty twenty. Yeah. So um, I wonder if you wouldn't mind talking about a little bit about sort of where you were when you first picked this up um and what and 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 that initial impact that it had on you because earlier you were talking about seeking seeking validation um so so I want I wondered if you could just maybe talk a little bit more about that Mm. so it was one of the I think I probably ordered about 10 books um I was moving back to Canada 
and I knew I had a two-week quarantine ahead of me so I stopped up on books in the UK um, with plans to spend quarantine reading and, <laughs> and obviously it was going to be difficult kind of being away from my family after everything had happened um, so that was where I was really like very vulnerable kind of bubbling with all of this emotion but not really knowing how to express it not really feeling like I could talk to people um and it just sticks it's always stuck out to me as the best book on this subject that I've read I think I can't believe I actually haven't mentioned it already there's a paragraph at the end of the book uh that Paul writes which I think is the most beautiful piece of writing I've ever read and it Am I allowed to read it? It's very yeah. short. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's one of the few things that like makes me cry even just thinking about it. So do bear with me. Let me find it. Um, okay, so basically he's grappling with what do I say to my eight-month-year-old daughter? Um, he knows he's going to die. What message do I leave to her? And he's sort of thinking, you know, should I write her 20 left 21 letters so she can open one each year until she's 21 should I do something dramatic and in the end he just says um he just has this message for her um when you come to one of the many moments in life where you must give an account of yourself provide a ledger of what you have been and done and meant to the world do not I pray discount the fact that you filled a dying man's days with a sated joy a joy unknown to me in all my prior years a joy that does not hunger for more and rest does not hunger for more and more, but rests satisfied. In this time, right now, that is an enormous thing. And I honestly, so it's actually quite, I read this, and my housemate, who I was living with at the time, Sarah, her mum had died when she was very young. And I went into the sitting room and said, Sarah can I just read this paragraph to you because I can't stop crying and I don't know if it's me and I don't really know why and then I read it to her and she just absolutely burst into tears um and I I kind of find it quite hard to talk about because it's so emotional and I've obviously never had what Paul is feeling because I think that's probably only something you have when you're close to dying um but I think I and probably a lot of other people when someone you love is going to die you feel like you're not enough and you worry that you do the wrong thing you say the wrong thing um the advice you give is wrong and I basically just think this paragraph is saying you were enough the fact that you were in my life you were enough you didn't have to do anything else. I didn't want you to, whatever. And I sort of feel like, I like to think that that's what my dad would say to me as well. Like you were enough in that time. And I just think it's a really beautiful piece of writing. <laughs> I, was so, hoping you'd, I was hoping you'd say more because I'm trying not to slob into my microphone. Oof, yes. And I think, I think not only because that's a wonderful piece of writing also because I knew your dad and he would absolutely tell you that you were enough like and that's mm. such that that is such a beautiful beautiful piece of writing and and 
and like the rest of this book a window into some into a, a time and a person's life that we don't get to see very often unless it's dramatized you know on the tv or in movies or whatever um to have an honest account from a person who was about to die about that that time of their life and all the emotions that they have do you think that that's what you because because you said you were looking for validation like did that give you what you what you needed or did you did it give you something else that that, that you didn't sort of realize yeah I think it made me realize you know people talk about bucket lists and things they want 50 things they want to do before they die and I guess it made me realize like what is actually important the only thing that's really important is the connections you have with people and the people you love and you don't have to be on an expensive holiday and or on a cruise or you know you can just be in a room with the people that you love and at the end of Paul's life that was all he wanted um it's pretty powerful when he's in the hospital room for the last time and he sort of says I, I want to go home I want to die at home and then there's that realization that he can't go home he's too ill he'd probably die on the way the one thing he wants is oh bring my daughter that can make this bed feel like I'm home yeah and at the end he just wanted everybody to be around him and to be able to hold his daughter and to be able to hug his wife and that's life right like that's yeah. all that matters he's sort of saying to his daughter I think you could be a doctor you can be a film director you can achieve all of these things but like don't forget what you did for me and the joy that you gave me at a time where I was incredibly vulnerable because that's important more important than yeah, yeah. I just I think it's beautiful it is beautiful it is absolutely stunning <laughs> thank you I'm just yeah I'm quite blown away actually this this is exactly the kind of conversation that I wanted to have what a, I hope to what have a lovely more. thing as well to leave for his daughter yeah I think like you know you're not going to be there for her life and that's gonna that's gonna be hard for her but what an incredible legacy and what an incredible what an incredible book to you know she's gonna grow up and be like that's my dad's book and yeah and especially because because feeling enough I was actually thinking about this last night that's something I think a lot of people especially young people struggle with is feeling like they are they are enough and so that's that's even more powerful I think because I think most I think most people at some point in their life don't feel like they are enough in one way or another that's just something that I think can 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 happen for, for various reasons and and for him to leave that for his daughter to look at when 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 she is older and to know that no matter what happens in her life like her dad her dad thought she was enough that's incredible mm. oh my gosh <laughs> oh what a wonderful book oh. okay so my final question is who do you think who do you think should read this like who do you think would benefit from from reading this piece and why 
I obviously would say everybody should read this because I think the Brits need to be, the Brits especially need to be dragged into a mindset that's more accepting of death. Um, We are terrible, even compared to my Irish friends, my Canadian friends, we are pretty uniquely awful (laughs) at all things emotion, particularly death. But I think probably most people will read this when they need it. Which is nice. It's nice to know that if somebody feels kind of as desperate as I did, that there's literature out there like this that can kind of help you, not help you sort of, I don't think you ever really move on, but just to know that you're not alone, I think. And I guess that's how we normalize it, isn't it? We we read about it, we talk about experiences and yeah, we realize that we're not alone in how we feel. Um, so yeah if anybody is in that phase of their lives I would definitely encourage them to read this book that is what a wonderful note to end end our wonderful conversation on thank you so much Kit for coming on to this teeny little um, baby podcast and talking so beautifully about not only your not only this book but your personal experience. I think it takes a lot to really, um, you know, talk about some of the some of the experiences in our lives that have been the hardest. So I really appreciate you coming on here and talking to me and to our lovely listeners as well, because I think that I think we do have some listeners, which is nice. Um, so yeah, okay, brilliant. Um, so before we go, um, I just uh i just want to ask how people can find you um you can follow me on instagram you'll have to request it's wondering kb i will probably accept you i'm quite generous like that we also have lovely listeners (laughs) yeah if you're coming to taiwan on holiday send me a message i'll definitely there (laughs) we go yeah (laughs) um and then if there's anything else um then we can add well I'll add Kitty's Instagram details into our show notes and then if there's anything else that um Kit thinks of in the meantime I'll add those into the show notes um you can follow me on Instagram I am Jess underscore B Davis but I'll add that into the show notes (laughs) and of course this is a podcast that is part of the Femme on collective and i will add those contact details into the show notes as well but yeah well thank you so much wonderful friend kitty bush um it's been so so wonderful to chat with you today thank you jess i've loved it it was lovely to kind of talk about yeah this book and to hear your thoughts as well it was great thank you thank you